0: Welcome back to another episode of Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, managing editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, senior reporter at Jezebel. On Wednesday evening, The New York Times published a lengthy interview with Donald Trump where, among a number of insane things, he also said that if he had known about Jeff Sessions' connection to Russia, he would not have appointed him attorney general.
1: Sessions should have never refused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. He
2: gave you heads no up at all in any sense? Zero. Right?
0: That audio is from the New York Times' podcast, The Daily, but they also published like a written transcript on their website.
1: What's really interesting about it is that he said specifically if he thought Jeff Sessions would recuse himself, That's he so wouldn't true. have. So it's like... Actually, it would have been okay if he was involved with Russia, (laughs) but like the fact that he was involved and then was like, I'm going to do something that's sort of semi-ethical was like, that's (laughs) what Trump wasn't cool with.
0: Yeah, I mean, that specific part of the interview, Donald Trump seemed, I mean, in the audio more than in the text, he seemed really betrayed. He was like, if I had known I was going to be left behind like this, I never would have chosen him. And like Donald Trump is bad, but it brings up the age old question, is he bad and so stupid and everybody is doing bad Russia collusion behind his back or is he involved in all of it?
1: And what's kind of incredible to me is how like Jeff Sessions was his, one of his like right hand men and he was just like, I'm going to throw you under the bus. It's like it's like it's not like Donald Trump has that many friends. He can just like.
0: No. And he's throwing them one by one, one by
1: one. And it's amazing that— Jared
0: Kushner under the his bus. His
1: son-in-law. <laughs> his Jewish son-in-law. And yet they all continue to stand with him because it's now this, like, bond of evil. Like, where do you go after you've supported Donald Trump so— There really is nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go.
0: It's like heaven for it. Trump supporters once you get killed out of the administration. is just, like, the Breitbart universe, and you go there and you have to, like,
1: It's a black fester. hole, and you're, you're stuck.
0: Also in the interview, what are some of the highlights? He said that the meeting where he pulled James Comey aside and had a one-on-one with him in the Oval Office, where he like allegedly said, "Stop investigating Michael Flynn." He said that never happened. Did you
1: shoot other people out of the room when you talked to no. Comey that no, time of day? No, I after didn't. Flynn was- that
0: was the other thing. I told people said, to get out
1: of the room. Yeah. Why would I do that? Did you actually have a one-on-one with Comey? then? Not much. Not even that I remember. He was sitting, and. I don't remember even talking to him about any mm-hmm. of this stuff. He said, I asked people to go, look, you look at his testimony. His testimony is loaded up with lies. Why does he continue to do interviews with the fake news anyway? I honestly that don't. but further incriminate himself every <laughs> single time. I know.
0: The last stupid part of the interview I want to point out is when Arabella Kushner and Ivanka walk into the Oval Office to be, and she's like, hi, grandpa, I'm a kid. Hi, baby, how are you? This is Arabella
2: who speaks. Say hello to them in Chinese.
0: And on the daily, I'm sorry to call these very talented reporters out, but they're like, "Wow, that was such an interesting moment because juxtaposed with this intense Russia investigation, here he is being a grandfather, a tender guy caring for his family. And like, is there any world where he didn't do that on purpose? <laughs> Why? Why would Arabella just walk into the office while he's doing an interview with the New York Times?
1: Oh, you're definitely not wrong.
0: I'm really like inferring a lot, but I just cannot well, imagine they didn't do that on purpose. I mean, there
1: aren't too many children who like Donald Trump. They're sort of a litmus test for are you a human being or not? And if like, and most kids are, yeah, they get it by him. I think his <laughs> yeah. his granddaughter is maybe not yet. <laughs>
0: Yet. And I think, and I've noticed on Ivanka Trump's Twitter, every time—not every time, but many times—that something bad happens with Donald Trump, like he has some sort of bad press, she posts a picture of one of those friggin' kids. Whoa! This is as Mr. This is, a little,
1: this is an interesting little theory.
0: It is a theory. I've been working on it for a long time and collecting evidence. <laughs> I'm being honest.
1: You're, you're a great reporter, Joanna. <laughs> I'm
0: literally being honest. One day, it'll. One day, this article will come out and I'll win some sort of big prize.
1: Maybe the Pulitzer. (laughs) Maybe specifically that one is what I'm
0: (laughs) hoping for. I would expect nothing less. This week, we're talking to Erin Los-Cutraro. She's the founder and CEO of She Should Run, which is a nonpartisan organization working to increase the number of women running for office in the United States.
2: It's not always a slam dunk. Some systems of power are so deeply rooted. They're not looking for change. But first, our weekend weenies.
1: Our first weenie... I'm proud to introduce a new character to our rotating cast is Donald Trump Jr.'s lawyer, Jay Sekulow, and Jay, if I may just call him Jay. Yeah, call him Jay. I'm just calling him Jay. I
0: feel like we're going to be hearing a lot more from Jay in the future.
1: I do get that feeling because on Sunday, he did quite the media tour trying to put out the fire that Donald Trump Jr. caused when he tweeted all of these emails that (laughs) are very implicating, where they revealed a meeting with Russian officials. And apparently we know that Jared Kushner was in this meeting. We know that the former campaign chairman Paul Manafort was in this meeting. And then a former Soviet military officer also told the AP that, yeah, he was also there. And yeah, they did hand over documents that were meant to tank Hillary Clinton. So... This is what Jay Sekulow said on Fox News Sunday.
0: We're not violations of a statute. I, I, and So when you talk about r- Russian collusion, colluding to do what? what co- colluding to violate what law? Well,
2: let's talk about the
0: legality of the meeting. The U.S. Yeah. code, and let's put it up, uh, yeah. bars a foreign national from giving money or, quote, thing of value in connection with yeah. an election, and it bars anyone right. from soliciting such assistance. Wasn't right. the Trump campaign in agreeing to that meeting, not talking about what happened, but what they thought when they went into that meeting, wasn't it soliciting something of value, which was the, the Kremlin, as, as they believed it, the Kremlin's effort to tip the election to Donald Trump. Well, number one, they didn't solicit the meeting, and you know that by reviewing the emails. But they the agreed to it, and they, they, asked for. they agreed to it, okay. and in fact Donald Trump said, I love it, and he agreed to the meeting on the 25th floor of Trump Tower. The opposition research, if it would have materialized, is not a thing of value. There's never been a case that has said that opposition research is a thing of
1: value. My favorite thing is that he also said, this is on CNN, State of the Union, he also tried to dismiss the meetings by saying that, like, a lot of people meet with Russian People in general so
0: a lot of people meet with Russian people so that's not unusual but he, he also said, said that, that he also said, said meeting. He, back in March he said that there were no meetings at all in, in the auspices of, of the campaign now we know that's yeah, not yeah you know
1: he's basically just a weenie for being Donald Trump juniors like right-hand man in this what is clearly a mess and not really he's not helping the situation I mean
0: de- I mean definitely he is not helping the situation.
1: That's my professional expert <laughs> opinion and assessment.
0: That's definitely true. Our next weenie is a Republican sponsored bill from Wisconsin. The author is Representative Andre Jacques of De which would block the University of Wisconsin Madison Medical Faculty from training resident physicians in how to perform abortions. So that is just like a crazy measure. It's just make doctors less educated. I don't agree with this one thing. So let's just make every OBGYN unable to be a good OBGYN. And also, according to an article from the journal Sentinel, 20 of Wisconsin's 72 counties already lack an OBGYN, according to the American Medical Society. So it's not like we are drowning in qualified OBGYNs. This would severely impact the medical education of University of Wisconsin students. It would also deter aspiring doctors from going to the University of Wisconsin. Also, the National Accreditation Council of Graduate Medical Education requires medical schools to offer to train residents in performing abortions. So it would threaten the accreditation of the whole medical school. I got a statement from the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Part of it is AMA statistics indicate that in 2017, there are no obstetrician gynecologists practicing in nearly one-third of Wisconsin's 72 counties. Other counties, including Douglas County, with a population of of 44,159, have just one OBGYN, and the shortage is expected to increase. And this is a good program. And then they say, Wisconsin women will suffer if this bill passes. Abortion training is required for safe patient care, management of complications of pregnancy and abortion, and to reduce maternal morbidity and mortality. Maternal mortality in the U.S. is rising and is the worst in the developed world. This one Republican guy is like, nah, I don't care.
1: So our next weenie is, enough, is, is, this one's very special to me. It is Donald Trump's hands, specifically Donald Trump's Handshakes. Last week, Donald Trump went to France to celebrate Bastille Day, and instead, he ended up wrestling with President Emmanuel Macron. Okay, so we want
0: to describe this handshake that Donald Trump and Emmanuel Macron did in France. But this is fun to watch visually, and this is an audio podcast, so we're just going to describe it to you in as much detail as possible. So, Prachi, do you want to try and describe this? literally we'll both watch the video together frame by frame tell us what's going on
1: okay macron extends his hand to donald trump it's so far it's a very normal shake macron leans in donald trump pulls his hand in and they do he does some weird like fist grab thing like he's pulling yanking him in pats pats macron on the arm now oh he spots bridget bridget macron and now he pulls her in for a kiss on the cheek. Meanwhile, he's still holding Macron's hand. Now they're all holding hands, like he's leading some sort of prayer group. And now he finally, finally lets go. And that was thirty that was thirty seconds. It was
0: very hard. It was, it was almost as hard to imagine as it was to watch. I mean, not only is Emmanuel Macron the only world leader who will not take Donald Trump handshake grift in stride, he will collect onto Donald Trump until Donald Trump perishes or gives up. But it, I mean, it is partially, at least in retaliation for Donald Trump blatantly hitting on his wife, Brigitte Macron, on their trip there. So you just heard Trump say... Oh, you're in such good shape. She's in such good physical shape. Beautiful. I love when Donald Trump describes a woman like a horse.
1: have on the line, Erin los Cutraro, the founder and CEO of She Should Run. Erin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.
0: So you're doing amazing work at She
2: Should Run. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what the organization does? She Should Run is a nonpartisan organization focused on encouraging women to run for office. And we have been in operation since 2011, doing a range of things to support the cause. Some research But our flagship program now is our She Should Run incubator that is an accessible place for any woman who's interested in running to get started.
1: So can you tell us about what specifically that incubator does? Like how do you go about recruiting and training these women and what are the things that you're teaching them?
2: You know, She Should Run's target audience is really women leaders who aren't already thinking about running. Um, Our goal is To make the case to great women who are leading in their organizations, in their communities, that they should see elected office as something that is a valuable use of their time and that they should own the power of their voices. So our incubator, we set up after we looked deeply at the landscape to see resources that are available and not available, Um, one of the missing pieces was if you're a woman and you're really thinking about this for the first time and you want to see behind the curtain, but you don't want to do so by signing up for, you know, a campaign training that's going to kind of put you through all the ropes, which by the way is necessary down the road. But if you're just thinking about it for the first time, we wanted to create that really safe place for you to, uh, to kind of explore the idea and understand what the resources are for you should you choose to run.
0: First of all, what things do you look for in a candidate? They're a leader, but is there a certain age range or experience level that you're looking for?
2: Yeah, so She Should Run is really, um, in all ways, we really focus on making the case that, you know, there isn't one way to serve an elected office. There are a variety of opportunities for women's voices to add value. And so in terms of what that means for the individual women that we're kind of looking for and making the case to, these are women who are problem solvers, who want to get something done, who have a passion and want to see that passion play out through, you know, outcomes. And maybe they see how that can be done in elected office, or maybe they don't yet. And, you know, they they might be leading efforts in their communities or leading efforts in their organizations. Um, you know, the big common theme that we see is they're problem solvers.
1: So you mentioned that the incubator gives people a safe space to explore what it means to run for office. Can you describe that more? Like, is it like a is it like an online course? Is there a place where somebody goes to you and meets with other people? Like what does that look like?
2: Any woman who's interested in running can come to the She Should Run site at sheshouldrun.org and see very clearly access to sign up to join our incubator community. And it's really a, you know, there's a there's a virtual entry point. So you you join online um, and you'll immediately see access to a series of courses that kind of help you think through first steps, and then you also have the ability to join a community of other ambitious women who are, you know, thinking about running themselves. We have a closed uh, chat group where these women can communicate with one another and you know, share issues that they're grappling with, they can ask questions, they can walk through campaign scenarios and receive the support and encouragement they need to really get serious about putting their hat in the ring. It's really that like personalized attention that helps women in our community feel ready to run.
0: But so specifically, if I wanted to run for office. Sure what what
2: can I run for? <laughs> well, you know, with that question, I always turn it around and ask a series of questions. <laughs> um, you know, I think the right place to start if you're asking yourself, what, you know, where would I even begin? Which is, by the way, where a lot of women begin. And And we always start in a place of, you know, before you get so far down the path of thinking about which office to run for, it's most important to start in the why. Why do you want to run? What is your vision for leadership? What do you want to make a difference doing? Because depending on how you answer that question, you'll want to align your ambition and goals with an elected office that allows you to do that. So, you know, for instance, we've we've had women come into the community who are really very clearly interested in local issues, but yet when asked what they want to run for, they may state that, you know, they're most interested in running for federal office. And then through a series of you know, kind of self-reflection points that we help women uh, lead these women through because it's no joke, running for office and serving the elected office takes a lot of time. So you want to make sure that that time that you're spending is something that makes you get out of bed every morning. And so maybe that's local issues, maybe that's state issues, maybe that's federal issues, but the first place to start is always getting really centered in the what difference do you want to make. Once you know what difference you want to make, then what you can do is get really serious about sitting down and mapping out what are the local and state and federal offices that you have opportunity for where you live. It takes some research. There's not one sort of comprehensive place to look. Some of this data is out there. You know, you can get access to the state and federal stuff pretty quickly. The local offices really depends on your jurisdiction and how accessible that information is. So we've had women you know, have to go as far as and share their stories of, you know, calling out their county clerk and asking these very questions. Okay, wait, what are the offices that are available? What are the terms? When are those offices um, open for election? And it's it's starting in a place of getting centered in you first. And then secondly, it's a lot of research
0: and so the county clerk is someone who will be helpful with that in letting us know? Absolutely.
2: Always your county clerk is is is, is a place. Um, but, but you know, that alone isn't going to give you the answer. So we never want to mislead anyone to think, okay, so if you just saw the list of offices, you would know exactly what to do. It's not that quite that easy. Um, there's research that happens above and beyond that, that is a lot of connecting with people in your community, connecting with ele- local elected leaders and asking them questions about what they are responsible for? What, you know, what does their role look like? So it, it does take muscle, but is absolutely worth it because if you can find that magical connection between the thing that drives you and that role in your community or state, then the sky's the limit on, you know, what influence and impact you can have.
1: So say that I've looked at the website, I've connected with women, I've decided I know what position I want to run for, I've done the research. What are than some of the obstacles or struggles that women at this point face when they realize, okay, now I'm going to actually start campaigning and do this. I
2: I think that it, this is a really a different experience for every woman who runs. You know, I want to make I want to make a really important point, which is there is no one formula, no one path to running for office. Um, it's really a personal experience, and and the struggle is personal too. So it it sort of depends at, of what means you're coming to you know, the political path and what connections you have in your local community or not on kind of the stage in which you're starting. Some women, not all, find it difficult to just state their goal, right? So they know they're, they sort of are Covering these um, quiet ambitions of maybe me someday, but I don't want to tell anybody that. And and really, that's the breakout moment when you state your ambition. When you say, even if you don't know exactly which office or when you're going to run, that you want to run for office, you want to serve in your local community, you want to make a difference. You then immediately get entered into kind of a an ecosystem. Of placing yourself somewhere that you become top of mind for individuals when an opportunity comes available. So there is a system in our country that uh, supports, and frankly, sometimes doesn't support getting women into elected office. There are gatekeepers that you know, as we talk about gatekeepers, that are you know individuals who who often do recruiting for these offices. These are oftentimes political leaders or chief funders of campaigns, you want to come up in their minds, <laughs> you, you know, if you're somebody who wants to run for office, you, you want to state your ambition. And I think women often hesitate to do that, you know, in fear of sort of looking too ambitious, if you will.
0: One of the biggest barriers to running for office is money. What do these women have to consider in terms of fundraising? And what are you helping them with?
2: I think it's important to point out that when women run for office, they win at the same rates as men. You know, even with the barriers that exist, they win at the same rates as men. They also raise the same amount of money as men. That is not to suggest that it doesn't take a lot of work. And many women, I think, would confidently say it takes more work. When it comes to fundraising, um, you know, women do have to, you know, come at it very confidently. And I would say, look, it's a skill to learn. Making asks for money, is it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone, by the way. I've yet to meet the person who thinks it's... The, you know, the bee's knees. Um, <laughs> but it's something that anyone can learn. And anything's possible when it comes to getting support for your effort. Because what you're selling is not yourself, you're selling your vision. And people want to support progress. They want to support what you believe in.
1: So another barrier, at least to me, seems like getting an endorsement or getting the encouragement or support from a particular political party. And I know that She Should Run as a nonpartisan organization. So how do you help with that?
2: Yeah, so we work on the side of kind of demystifying that. So a lot of women who are coming to this for the first time haven't thought deeply about the structure, the political structure that exists in this country that supports or doesn't support women to run for office. You know, we feel like our role uh, is really in... Making clear that that system exists and sharing this powerful storytelling of women who have been successful um, on the campaign trail, how they got connected with party leaders, um, you know, what was hard, what wasn't hard. It's not always a slam dunk Some systems of power are so deeply rooted, they're not looking for change. And so, you know, as you're sort of trying to break into that system, it may not be easy. But I think just hearing other women's stories can make that process so much easier.
0: Just the most in in the broadest sense, I feel like people who maybe only follow national elections or bigger state elections feel like the barrier to entry is very high just in terms of preparing your whole life for these kinds of offices and having this squeaky clean record because some of these campaigns get so nasty. Is this something that people are grappling with? Is that true? Do you need to have been preparing and making sure you've never done anything
2: wrong? (laughs) Uh, It's a great question. So uh, the issue of your personal brand, your background, any skeletons you may have in in the closet, if you will, is increasingly something that comes up, especially with um, younger and younger candidates. So as we live our world, we live our lives in a very digital and public way. (laughs) Um, Things are accessible in ways that, you know, for older generations, they weren't. And there are a number of factors at play in what matters. First, yes, you absolutely have to be mindful of what's out there about about you publicly. There's no pretending that if you have, you know, some some really, you know, questionable part, something that would question your integrity that's out there in a public way um, and out there in a really big way, that you're going to want to address that. You're not going to want to pretend it's not there. If you know it's there, others will find it that said, look, nobody's perfect. And I think that's, you know, we've done a great disservice in politics by suggesting you have to somehow be, have this like clean slate and this perfect background. And you have to always look perfect in your pictures and you have to you know, have this, this completely tidy resume. Um, it's just not oh, the reality of how the majority of this country and even leaders um, present themselves. And, and I think for women specifically, we strive so much for perfection. It gets in the way for us to take risks. And so you have to do your due diligence, yes. So where we always say to start is mm-hmm. research yourself see what's out there. What comes up when people Google your name? Um, When you Google your name, what do you find? If there's something that is, you know, silly photographs that are out there on your Facebook feed that you can easily remove, you should just go ahead and do that because why bother with having them out there, you know, if they could become a liability. If it's something bigger and it can't be removed and it's public, well, then you have to know what it is and you have to most likely, depending on the level of office you're running for, either be ready to address it if it comes up or address it it proactively, you know, letting individuals know, look, I haven't had a perfect background on this. That way, there's no question that you're trying to hide something. Um, You're aware that they see what you can see as well. And then I always say to take it one step further, too, as you're kind of thinking about this. You should do your research on yourself, but you should also have people that you trust do research on you, too. So have somebody go in and say, okay, you know, that friend that you trust say, I need you to do this for me. You know, take a couple of hours, dive as deeply as you possibly can into everything that you can find mm-hmm. out about me. And let's talk about what you found and what what from what you found either I need to address or that I need to, you know, be prepared to address down the road. Um, but but most importantly, like don't let that stop you from running. There are very few examples out there of things that should stop women from being in positions of leadership. If you're ready to be a leader, you know, there is no expectation that you're coming to this with this impeccable background. um, And don't let that get in the way because that is something that women do that men don't.
1: Um, So I want to talk for a second about numbers. What is the size of the program? What's the recruitment program? How many candidates do you have right now?
2: Well, we launched in in 2016, later in the year, but before Election Day, we set a goal to get 400 women in the program by the end of 2016. um, As you can imagine, the election came and went and everything changed. The floodgates opened. We closed 2016 with 5,500, over 5,500 women in our incubator program. We just turned the corner on having over 11,000 women in our incubator program. And just this week after, you know, we had gone through a pretty intensive um, planning process to say, okay, now we have to get serious about how to build on this momentum. We built out the plan that we feel like it will take to get 250,000 women running for office by 2030. So that is the place where She Should Run is solely focused on getting these women to step up. There are over 500,000 elected offices in our country, and we want 250,000 women thinking about and planning for their runs for office. And we have a lot of work to do to get there.
0: Well, Erin, thank you so much for joining us. This is really exciting. And I'll tell every woman I know to run for office. Please do.
2: (laughs) Please do. Thank you. And to visit sheshouldrun.org, of course. Of course. Of course.
0: Now it is our favorite segment, How to Handle the Dicks, where we talk about how we're handling the dicks. It's the middle of the summer. Everywhere I go, I'm sweating. Donald Trump is still president. That's the situation. It's a lot to deal with.
1: Pratcha, are you doing anything? Specifically, I'm celebrating my birthday. It's your birthday. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of turning one year older, which is exciting and dreadful at the same time. Well, But I celebrated with my friends, and that's it's always nice because it's always nice to remember that I have friends.
0: <laughs> that's nice. I'm glad you can enjoy your birthday even amidst the terror. I have not had a birthday under the Trump administration yet, but I'm sure it'll be different. Can you tell us is it different?
1: It was more fun. It was more fun? It was more fun. I mean, I came to see
0: you on your birthday at, like, 7 p.m. You had clearly been drinking for, like, eight hours at that point. It's
1: true. <laughs> I yes, <laughs> I was. I had social anxiety about it the next day because I was like, I never get that drunk. So yeah, I I mean, was like, I mean you're not drinking this week. Right? I was, <laughs> I mean I haven't had a drink since I'm then.
0: Because <laughs> you're always like, I've stopped drinking.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> that ended like a week later. <laughs> But I'm sure I'll come up with a new way to ban myself from drinking in the future. Uh, But, yeah, the next day I had social anxiety about it because I was like, oh, my God, did I say or do something offensive at all in any way to any of my friends who probably aren't going to want to talk to me anymore after how terrible I I was?
0: you really offended me. Yeah. You said something very cruel about my family. Don't
1: tell me. (laughs) I don't want to know.
0: You didn't actually. I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, On Sunday, for me, my how to handle the dicks is I bought a very, a large bag of kale. <laughs> and so now, do you know the Portlandia sketch, Put a Bird on It? I don't think I know that one. Definitely the most famous Portlandia
1: sketch. Oh, then I'm sure I do. <laughs> I just don't know the name of it. <laughs> well, in
0: the <laughs> sketch, they just say, Put a Bird on It a lot. What
1: a sad little
0: tote bag. I know. I'll put a bird on it. Did you see this bag before? I didn't. Now there's a bird.
1: <laughs> it's flying. It's free. <laughs>
2: I'm going to put this bird right on this card. It's so pretty. You like that, ma'am? Fantastic.
1: I haven't seen that, that one. <laughs> well, well. But, okay, one thing you should know about me, Joanna, and I'm surprised that you don't know this yet, is that I, like, famously do not get references to TV shows or movies. Oh, like I know that. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, well then, you should know that about me and stop asking me no, you could these just questions. Because the answer no. will always be... No. But I'll always be embarrassed by it because I know I should know. But you could be like, I'll be back. And I'll be like, I have no idea what that (laughs) is from.
0: Okay. I brought it up more for our listeners than for you. Fine.
1: I'm a little insecure about it, okay?
0: (laughs) Okay. But the point was everything, every food project I do, I have to put a kale on it because I have infinity kale.
1: Infinity kale. That's a good name. I like it. (laughs) Well, good. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks. This show is produced by Levi Sharp and Gabriella Sierra with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Madana Mofidi is our executive director of audio, and we featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other
1: people can find the show. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a Big Time Dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to BigTimeDicks at Jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag BigTimeDicks. We'll see you next Friday, and who knows what the world will look like then.